I had invitations from the Prime Minister of Lithuania. I started working with NATO. I worked with ministries of defense all over Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, I got chased by the mafia. I got threatened by Russian generals in an underground nuclear bunker, but that's another mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. But what I began to discover was that I had talent and skill that helps real people with real struggles coming out of real difficulty who are looking for purpose, meaning, and direction, and I could help them find it. And I, you know, the thing, what's ironic is I was trying to find it. Hmm. And I'm trying to transition out of a ministry mindset into a real world mindset where I'm applying some of the things that I claimed were were powerful in people's lives. Hmm. So that's was my transition, and it's I've not looked back since then. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Life and Leadership Connected podcast. I'm so excited that you're here. My name is David Aliena Cruz and I'm your host. In this podcast, we talk about life purpose and why that gives us meaning and direction in our life. We talk about life and leadership. What gives us life? How do we become and continue to be a good leaders with great impact on other people? How do we combine life and leadership in a good and healthy and sustainable way? These are questions we will discuss in this podcast. Uh, if you want more information, go to lifeandleadershipconnected.com. I'm your host and coach, David Daliano Cruz. Let's start writing in this episode. Okay, welcome. Welcome to this uh, uh, new edition of, of Life and Leadership Connected podcast. And today we have a very special guest. His name is David Lutz. David Lutz, welcome to this uh, new edition of the podcast. Thanks very much. I'm honored. Appreciate it. Yeah. And 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 I, I will give you a short pre presentation here who, who David is. And he has done a lot in life. And um he is, uh, for example, he's a, he's a global talent management, organizational development and leadership coach, a consultant and trainer. And he specializes particularly in servant leadership training, consulting and coaching. And he is an internationally well-known conference speaker and published author and conference presenter. And uh, he's also a, a radically and passionately committed to helping people discover their meaning and purpose and direction in life for the life and career and he's also been described he has been described as a gift and latent skill detector and developer as he helps people and the org organizations they work in to discover the wealth and richness within the, within their people and he's a former advisor to nato he's a former church pastor in uk america and south africa uh, and he's an american british dual national uh, and he's a former semi pro baseball player in South Africa in the early 70s. And, and also something that I personally think very, very interesting. Uh, and he, he was an active uh, leader, preacher and trainer in the, and youth leader within this Jesus revolution movement in the early 70s. And I think this is a bit interesting because, you know, recently there was this movie published in America and also in Sweden, the Jesus revolution. So um, I think, I think that's, 
maybe you can talk a little bit about about the the Ulsulis later. Um, he's also a recent uh, lay co-pastor in Dubai, and he speaks widely about business ethics and values combined with the biblical insights to help Christian leaders and managers professionally, uh, for them to professionally, effectively, and authentically honor and serve God in their workplace. And he lives in South Louis in America. And he he's, as I said, he's an author and his latest book was published this, this June and it's called Guidance, Goofs and Grace. And uh, it is a bit about this um, his time in this Jesus uh, revolution movement, uh, if, I think, yeah. And he's also written a chapter in a book called Your Dose of Motivation, 18 Uplifting Stories to Inspire Your Day. Uh, and the lead, and and last, there's also a, an online devotional book he published called "The Authentic Christian Manager." Uh, so, uh, did I miss anything, David? Oh no, you told you've made me feel amazing. I, I, <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you have done a lot of things in life. Wow. So, um, but uh, um, tell us your story, David. Who are you? Um, let us get to know you a bit. You know, even at my old age, I I look back on how this all transitioned and how it all began, and I'm asked uh, at least 50, 60 times a year mm. to tell some part of this story. And what's interesting is even though it's 50 plus years old, the beginning, uh, even now as I'm speaking, I've got goosebumps on my arm because I remember how good God was to me mm. and uh, how he found me. So a very brief history. I grew up in a very conservative village in upstate New York. We only had maybe 1,250 people. Uh, no, we still to this day do not have a traffic light. Uh, mm. Everybody knows everybody else's business. My parents were leading light teachers for years and years and years. My brother was a famous sportsman. Uh, and actually, it's a family joke that he was so popular and so famous that I was known as John Lutz's brother. I wasn't David Lutz. You know, mm -hmm. I had this. So, but in those days, in, in that small village, which was very conservative, I never went to church. I never held a Bible in my hand. I never went to Sunday school. I knew no one, no friend at all who even talked about such things. <clears throat> now, I knew a couple of songs from Christmas, and one of them used to make me sort of tearful. But And I used to say grace for the family, all the cousins and everyone for Thanksgiving dinner, because my great-grandmother told me I must. Uh, but it meant nothing. And... Uh, <clears throat> At the end of my high school career years, I was president of the student council. I was captain of clubs and the all-American boy. But I knew in my heart of hearts that I was a fake. I knew that I, the pressure was too much. The idea of being someone important to be in the limelight. I was a joker. I was a wise guy. Uh, but I was still very active in doing good things for the school and the community. But I knew nothing about God whatsoever. I got chosen as a Rotary Exchange student to go to South Africa. And when I got there, I did, they put me in a private boys' school. Uh, and the family welcomed me. They had young children. But I decided that I was going to become the real David Lutz. And I, I had very conservative short hair. And I decided I'd let my hair down and be a rebel. And uh, after about two months, the school complained. 
the family complained. And I found out later that the Rotary Club, in the first time in their history, was considering sending me back to America. Oh. It is, that's how irritating the, and, you know, whatever I was. So I, in October, early October uh, of that year, my host father called me to see him into his office or into the living room. And he showed me a brochure. And the Rotary Club and he and the school had decided we must send him to a camp. It's now in those days, that's spring break. It's in the spring, getting to be spring. And it's a Christian camp. And I read the brochure. There's devotions and sport and fun and games and about 100 boys up in the mountains. And I, and, but when I saw religious and saw Bible, I went to him and I said, or I said to him, you must absolutely uh, tell them that I have nothing to do with this stuff. I was really angry about it. And I said, and I'm not going to go. If I go, no, then tell me nothing, but I don't want to go. And he said, you don't have a choice. So he took me on the, on the Saturday when the bus was ready to leave to take all the boys. He, met, he introduced me to the, what they call the camp commandant. And he was a very famous, popular lawyer who was taking a week off to work with teenagers. And I went right up into his face aggressively. And I said, you keep your religious hands off me. I want nothing to do with your religious stuff. He described me later to a friend as a very angry young man, you know, so uh, so uh, went to the camp. And I think the Baptist minister who was leading our tent, about eight or nine boys, I think he wanted to quit the ministry by about the second day. I was so argumentative. Hmm. And I, I knew I didn't know what I was arguing about. I was just a smart mouth, wise guy who just made his life miserable. But the sport was good. And I was celebrating being popular as an American on the trampoline, playing other games. But uh, came a Thursday night, August, October 7th of that year, the commandant spoke at a, at the evening devotions. And he talked about Jesus being a real historical person. I'd never heard this before. He talked about Jesus being uh, connecting with us in our, our lives and becoming a man so that he could identify with the human condition, with my condition. He then was killed and, and was crucified. And I said, I don't under, I, I don't even I never even thought about that in once in my life. But somehow what he shared made sense. It was relevant, but I didn't know how it was relevant. It was for me personally, but I didn't know what that meant. All I know is that there was a moment in that sharing that I said, I've got to know more. That was it. So I went to him over the coffee break outside, everybody standing around. And I went to him privately and I wanted to say simply, no, thank you. But I didn't. Instead, I grabbed him by the shirt, by his jacket, and I shook him violently. And tears streaming down, sorry, tears streaming down my face. And I'm screaming at him loud and angry, saying, why has no one ever told me this before? This is the most amazing news I've ever heard. I've got to know more. You've got to tell me more, you know. And he was shocked. And he took me aside and I sat him down. I said, Noel, you've got to tell me, you've got to introduce me to this Jesus. If he's real and he's alive and he's relevant and he's personal, I need to know. And so he prayed with me. And uh, that was it. 
you know, uh, for in a sense, that wasn't the only thing. So I went back, we finished the week and I was just, I couldn't talk about it. I didn't know what to talk about. All I know is that something was going on. Hmm. And I went back to my host family and I know they were very nervous about this angry young man coming back from the camp. Hmm. And the host mother, she, she said to me after a couple of days, she said, I don't know what's happened to you, but the soft, there's softness there. The rough edges are gone. You're, there's something, what happened? And I said, oh, the camp was amazing. It was amazing. You know, I said, I can't, I don't think I can describe it any other way. I said, I feel like I've been born all over again. Mm. Now, I didn't know that was in John chapter three. I really didn't. Noel didn't share that with me. Yeah. But I'll cut to the final bit of the story is that Noel contacted the family and invited me to come to meet his family nearby and go to church. The first time ever. Mm. So I went, I met his family and he had two little daughters. One was five, one was four. And we got in the car to go to church, and the one, the five-year-old climbed onto my lap, looked me straight in the face, and put her hands on the side of my face, and she looked at me with a smile. And she said, Uncle Davy, you don't know Jesus? <laughs> and I said, no, no, can you tell me? And she said, oh, yes, I can. Mm -hmm. And so she's telling, you know, he plays with me when I'm with my dolls, when I'm with the dog, when I'm dancing. You know, Uncle Davy, Jesus is really funny. You know, mm -hmm. and he really likes my jokes. And she talked with him like he was real in the mm -hmm. here and mm -hmm. now, relevant, present. Mm -hmm. And he was her friend. Mm -hmm. And her sister's listening to the story. and She's giggling and laughing. Anyway, uh, we got to church and I didn't know what to do. Do I stand? Do I sit? I'm just kind of, I've never sung a hymn in my life. Mm -hmm. But all I know is that particular sermon, there was no one else in the room. You know how it is. Mm. There was no one else there. That sermon was only for me. Mm. It was like he was reading my secret diary. It was like he he was, and I and I described it in a, my book later. I said, I began to realize what it was like. I suddenly realized I understand what it's like to be drowning, thirsty in a desert mm. and suddenly finding an oasis of water and peace and hope. Mm. And that began my journey. Um, and instead of a year in South Africa, I mean, during that year, I turned down a professional baseball contract. I got back home and I turned down a full scholarship at a local, at a university. I turned out another baseball, pro baseball offer contract. I did not get chosen. I got chosen, but got turned down to go to Vietnam, which I didn't really want to do anyway. And then I accepted a contract to go back to South Africa to coach and play baseball. But then on my arrival, Youth for Christ found out, the organization found out that this I had played well and I was in the, in the papers and very popular in the year before. This American Christian, this, Christ, this American baseball player is now a Christian American baseball player. And uh, he interviewed me for their national magazine. I'm on the cover. I'm in the, you know, and this is, this is a whole new world to me. It's the first time I've ever had to tell my story. Mm. And uh, suddenly, I'm now the Christian American baseball player, and I, over the next few years, speaking to thousands of teenagers all over the country. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, I got introduced to the Jesus Revolution mm -hmm. that was going on at the time in Cape Town, and that completely changed my world. I mean, mm -hmm. this was, I don't know what a hippie is. I mean, but it was all the hippie movement and the Jesus Revolution was all connected. Yeah. I'm the conservative guy wearing a tie who plays baseball. Yeah. But suddenly I'm immersed in this as well. And it was a radical change for my life. Wow. Mm. 
so so great here and and what um uh can you tell us a little bit what happened from that moment and to to what you do today because your life has 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 taken a, a radically new d- uh, direction or, or yeah. uh, and um yeah just a few minutes and so we get yeah, yeah, connected sure. to, to I, the present I, yeah i mean I, i i was there for another five years initially uh and felt a call to the ministry i studied i began my studies but then had to drop them went back to america to um through england to america to uh go to bible school but it never happened uh, my father was horribly upset about this because he didn't understand what bible school could do for my life he was an atheist um and uh, but then i transitioned back to south africa where i within a year was in full-time ministry uh, as a youth a, a youth pastor but more a little higher up mm-hmm. then i was selected to go to bible school to train for the ministry formally then i was ordained and then i and completed my studies as well and uh, ministered there for a few years in several different church contexts uh and then ended but decided when we i mean we ended up having to leave south africa and go back to america for other reasons i began to realize that i'm not a good institutional guy mm-hmm. i as i said as you said in the introduction i began to realize that what i'm really good at is connecting with people on a on a human down to earth level and that people it's easy to stand in a pulpit and preach down or out but to be amongst the people and find out where the real pain is where the hopes and dreams are and that we're not set as an institution or as a minister i'm not satisfying it with just preaching mm-hmm. so i began to do more training i began to do more um learning life skills so apply the bible as opposed to talk about the bible so long story short um back in america then moved, then my old mentor from south africa is now in london he invites me to come back into the ministry in england so i go i interview i'm selected and uh, and but in my heart and head i'm thinking am i really do i really want to put on the dog collar again and be the guy in front and turns out that the job didn't work out they they didn't choose somebody else there was another reason for this but now i'm suddenly realizing i've got to get a real job and i but i said i don't want to do it in the formal institutional church context so i'm a i'm a leader in the church i'm active in the church but i don't want to be in front in that way uh and so i started working with unemployed people in the community from other churches and i began to realize that their hopes and dreams had been shattered because there was a lot of large scale redundancy going on at the time and they didn't have hope for their own future for their families uh for their career path if you like so i i discovered a management philosophy that on one hand that that worked and it was compatible with my christian values on the other hand i discovered a a find your purpose meaning and direction book and i ended up meeting the author and that was a very funny experience um changed my life uh where i could help people uh just do a few short small things to help them begin a journey of hope and purpose and uh very won't go into the details but in the middle of all this i attended a workshop at oxford university i spoke at a workshop somebody rec- liked what i said 
I was invited to Prague in 1990 to speak at a big conference after the collapse of the Soviet Union. And it was called East, East Meets West. And the Western companies paid for Eastern leaders to come. We spent a week. I was the keynote speaker at the opening session with this new management thinking that I had adopted. I'm a student, really. But they made a misprint on the brochure. And they called me Dr. Lutz. And I'm not a doctor, you know. And so I stood up in front of hundreds of people and said, look, I'm, I, I'm a humble new guy, student. It didn't matter. I became an expert immediately. Oh. And I had invitations from the prime minister of Lithuania. I started working with NATO. I worked with ministries of defense all over Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, I got chased by the mafia. I got threatened by Russian generals in an underground nuclear bunker. But that's another mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. But what I began to discover was that I had talent and skill that helps real people with real struggles coming out of real difficulty who are looking for purpose, meaning, and direction, and I could help them find it. And I, you know, the thing, what's ironic is I was trying to find it, hmm. and I'm trying to transition out of a ministry mindset into a real-world mindset where I'm applying some of the things that I claimed were, were powerful in people's lives. Hmm. So that was my transition, and it's, I've not looked back since then. Wow. And today you're a trainer, trainer of people in, in personally, but also in organizations. Yes, I, I mean, I was doing a, I'm doing a brochure at the moment. I checked the other day. I've, I've worked in that capacity as a consultant, trainer, coach, presenter on the mm. same subjects we've just discussed mm. in 42 countries. Wow. So, and that's dozens and dozens and dozens of companies. Much of it's in the Middle East, yeah. ironically, um, and. I'm personally now do I do I was in Dubai and Azerbaijan and Bahrain in the last mm. four months, mm. uh, present, train, and now I'm doing coaching of leaders and executives on key subjects related to leadership excellence, and mm. again trying to I'm trying to walk this parallel path. On the one hand, I want to work with Christian leaders and managers and help them get better at what they do and be excellent in their jobs and be great servant leaders, but I'm also it's interesting I'm using the same material for Christians as I do for non-Christian audiences, I just don't have Bible verses for the non-Christian. It's exactly the same, the servant leadership message. It's quite interesting. Mm. Interesting. Um, in this podcast, uh, in each podcast I do, um, I try to form it around four questions. Um, and uh, and uh, the first question is, um, uh, it is like this. Uh, tell me about what gives you life within the area of focus you have chosen to spend most of your time in your life and how you keep your energy at high level day by day. And uh, so if I ask you, David, um, uh, what has given what has given and gives you life and energy every day or when you get tired from a hectic work life? It's going to maybe sound like a cliche too much. Uh, I hope not. Um I wake up, truly wake up every day, hoping to meet with somebody on the street, in the shop, in a school, in the workplace, and share something based on biblical principles, but without putting the Bible in their mouth and making them believe it. I want to live it. I want to uh, demonstrate it through kindness, through a word, through an email, through a call, uh, I want to get out of the building. I want the church to leave the building, I'm, if I'm representing the church, and be real and relevant in the world in which I live. And I believe God has anointed every Christian to do that. Uh, he has gifted us and empowered us to be his voice, his 
his feet, his hands, his touch uh, in the world. What gives me a sense of purpose and excites me every day is it doesn't matter whether it's a podcast or a meeting or a time of sharing, when that light comes on in somebody's eyes, mm. when I see there's there's a glimmer of hope, when I see that they understand or they start to say, yeah, I get it. I, in, in the training room, I'm, I'm like a pig in mud, man. I, yeah. uh, to, see a, uh, to see the interaction, to get people to dialogue and discuss and come out of themselves and to be authentic and to, and to show them empathy and to show them how, what it means to be empowered and how every one of them can be something good and excellent and have mm. purpose in their own lives. To mm. see that light come on oh, every day, that's all I care about every day. What I write, what I, what I speak, I want to see figuratively and literally, I want to see the light come on. And the idea that I'm like this morning, I'm writing mm. something about a group I'm coaching in the Middle East. Yeah, I'm, I'm because I meet with them. I'm in the middle of the night. I'm meeting meeting with them about their careers and their development. And when I see the light, when we're in a face to face session, like I was six hours ago, um, and I see they go, yeah, that's what I need. Yes, that works for me. Well, okay, I'm done. I, I've I just just the idea of and for me, um, that's it. Uh, you know, I. It's not about preaching the gospel. It's about living a gospel. Yeah. I don't need to preach Bible verses to be his witness and to be a demonstration of his love and life and power. Mm, wow. Wow. I mean, it makes me sound like a saint. It's, I'm not, you know. No, no. You know, I really, yeah. I, you know, I, I, I didn't vacuum the floor the other day, and my wife is really upset with me, you know. But <laughs> I, I uh, and so she could say, oh, yeah, you want to help people to uh, become better in their lives. Well, vacuum the floor. You know, that would help. You know, do something practical. Yeah, yeah. But, um, yeah, but that's what gives me a buzz, if yeah. you like, and gives me yeah. a sense of purpose. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the second question, it's also also connected to purpose, as you, as, as you, um, yeah, as I know you, that you like. And so the second question that we usually ask in the podcast is, what gives you a purpose, meaning in life? Uh, what is your why, your purpose, your motivation for what you do? And I maybe oh, oh, maybe this is, maybe this is connected. I don't know, but um, tell us, what, yeah, what, what gives you and has given you purpose and meaning in life? What is your why, your purpose and motivation for what you do and have done? Oh, well, you know, I'm glad you asked the question because you've take you'll take me back now to England when I was helping the unemployed. And uh, it was a free thing. It wasn't like I was making money, but I was using material from a book that I thought was incredibly powerful, which basically said that God has placed within each of us a sense of a purpose from birth. And there is something, if we track our history from the earliest years, we begin to see a pattern of motivation, of interest, of, and some people are, you know, creative, some people are analytical, some people, you know, there's a, all different types of But the world, society, our families, the school, they either shape it or they block it or they, you, you can get off track and not become who you, in a sense, are created to be. Anyway, so I'm using this material, and I thought I was doing a good job. And But now I find out that the author of this book is going to be in England, near where I lived, and I was invited, I got invited to meet him. And the book is called uh, The Truth About You. So it's about your 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 why your purpose your motivation mm -hmm. and there's a pattern of things you can do to discover that so i meet him and i start blah 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 you know i'm all excited trying to impress him how i'm using his material and i'm such an amazing presenter and trainer and he cut me off he said stop 
I'm going to ask you a question. I know the answer, he said, but I want you to answer it. And he said to me, what is your motivational why? What is your motivational must? What is it that you must do to be true to your heart, to be true to your gifting, to be true to yourself? What is your motivational must? What is your motivational why? What moves you to be you and to accomplish? And I go, blah, blah, blah. And I'm trying to you know, talk really intelligently, trying to answer his question like I'm real knowledgeable. And he cut me off again. And he said, I'll tell you what it is. And I'm not, I'm not telling you to, I'm not telling you, I'm not asking you to, 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 to answer, to question it in a sense. I'm telling you the answer. Your motivational must, your motivational why, your motivational thrust, the thing that pushes you forward. If you don't wake up every morning making a difference in somebody's lives, changing their world, helping them find purpose, meaning, and direction, you'll be miserable as sin. You'll be miserable the rest of your life. If you don't do that, you're not only failing yourself, but you're going to fail the people that you could have touched. And he said, that's your motivational. So I just shut up. And uh, I, I said, yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's who I am. That's what I want to be. What was interesting is I used to teach at a Christian school in, in, in the New England in America. I found out he was the found, one of the founders of that school. So we had a connection, but it's changed my life. And his book um, and his principles, I've woven them into the things that I write, the podcasts I'm going to do, the articles that are being published at the moment. Um, that's my why. I've got to wake up and make a connection with somebody and help them to discover something more about their purpose. That's my purpose. And I, I hope I'm not sounding arrogant like I got the answers to all their problems. I ask a lot of good questions. I, you know, I get, and if they welcome me into their lives, even for a few minutes, then we make a connection and they begin to realize that I'm being authentic. I'm being real. I'm not being pushy. I'm not trying to force them into anything. Mm. I care. Mm. And that comes from the compassion of God that I believe he's placed in my heart and mm. empathy that, that is from yeah. him. But yeah. yeah, that's, that's what, that's my, that's what turns me on if you like. Yeah. And, um, but if, if you meet somebody, uh, maybe let, let's start with a young person or, or, or a new leader. Sure. That that yeah. that's this question his life. I mean, that wants to find his purpose, his direction, motivation. Uh, how would you how would you direct him? What, what would you, would you say? What is his first step? How can he how can he find a, a purpose? Yeah, it's a challenge because we're in a situation where we have to find a balance between the dream, the hope, the wishes, the longings. And the sense and reality. I mean, I still have to. I've just fin like I maybe I've just finished university. Uh, I don't. I have a degree, but I've got no experience. So how how do I think about purpose when I've when I've done that? Well, it's highly unlikely that I can help them to get some dream or vision about the future. Uh, but one of the things that I've become not famous for, but people know me for, is don't boil the ocean. Boil a teacup, maybe two teacups. Let's take one step at a time. Don't try to think of the long view picture. Let's talk about the next two to three years. And I will try to help them to answer questions about, about their values. What do you really believe about people, about life, about sin, about, uh, about um, corruption, about selfishness? 
Do you believe all people are good? Do you believe that people can change? Do you believe, and what do you believe about yourself? Do you see any, any changes and how was, how painful was it? And what was the process? Uh, and so I'm asking questions about values. I'm asking questions about if you could wake up tomorrow and do anything you wanted, would it be connected to your studies, for example? And I met one guy, one young guy, and he said, well, I did the studies because that's what my mom and dad wanted me to do. I said, well, what do you want to do? He said, I want to coach young sportsmen. But what was your degree? Well, it was business management. Okay. Uh, because that gives you real jobs. Uh, that'll give you a real job. But he said, but I, I spent all of my free time trying to help young people as a coach, as a sportsman, sports coach. So I found out that his, his, his real passion was number one, young people. Number two, watching them excel at sport. Three, discovering expertise that would make them be good at sport and develop new skills. And his light came on when he sees not somebody winning the game, but performing well, you know? And so anyway, hmm. so I try to help them. What is your must? What is your why? What is your uh, absolutely won't do? So that's connected to values. I actually asked them, um, is there anything that really makes you angry about the way people do things in the world? Well, yeah, I don't like it when I don't like bullies that bully children or bully people with disabilities or something. Fine. Okay. So, but what else makes you angry? What about politicians? What about the government? What about financial? What about your student loan, which is going to be $50,000 over the next 30 years? Uh, what makes you angry? What gives you passion on a negative level? Well, he said, I want to change. I want, I'm disappointed about the environment. I want to see the oceans cleaned up. I want to save animals, I don't, whatever, you know? So I kind of probe like that to get people to a, at least try to describe what's going on in here and in here mm. and get them to connect some of those dots, but don't boil the ocean. You can't cure poverty, change, uh, uh, solve poverty. You can't clean the environment and all the oceans in two years. It's going to take you a, you know, a couple centuries, mm. but let's start small. What can yeah. you change in terms of your own life? Maybe an extra course, maybe something that taps into your inner sense of purpose uh, that they're helping them to discover. But um, don't boil the ocean. Let's just boil a couple of teacups. But getting them to talk about how they feel, what they think, how they see the world around mm -hmm. them. I mean, some young people are just so depressed. Mm -hmm. They're so discouraged. Uh, the school has told them, their friends have told them, their parents have told them that that thing that you love to do is stupid and wrong, and it's not going to pay the bills someday. Mm. But yet, you talk, you get them to talk about saving dogs, you know, and suddenly their their whole world lights up, and they'll tell you stories about this dog. Or, you know, I'm talking, I'm using dogs. I don't know. Wait, I have a dog. That's why I talk mm. about dogs. So anyway, that's the kinds of things I do. There's no real formula. But it is a series of questions to help them probe deeper into the things that motivate, the things that disturb them, the things that uplift them, hmm. and, and their values, if they have even got a place where they've thought about values. That's yeah. another challenge. Yeah, yeah. Okay, thank you. But, but then if you have, if you have like a, a leader, a leader that have, have, um, have some experience of leadership and, and uh, somehow... Yeah, he, life hits him, uh, and he lost his yeah. purpose, or he realized that I, I choose the wrong path here. I need to find a new, a new, new, new motivation. How, how, how do, what would you say to that person? Yeah, I mean that's a, another set of factors uh, that are I do. That's what I'm dealing with all of the time. Mm. Uh, there is some well-known 
management and leadership gurus who put out one-line statements on LinkedIn or other places, don't choose an organization, choose a boss. Well, I'm sorry. If you're a young guy in your middle mid-20s and you're trying to build a career, how are you going to assess whether that boss is a dictator, he's a micromanager, he has a servant heart, he cares about people, he actually knows how to empower others, or whether he's just a, a, a man, a bad person? You know, how do you assess that when you go for an interview? So you do your homework on the organization, you look at what people are saying, and there's and you look at their website and it says on their purpose, values, mission statement, we believe our people are our most valuable asset. We believe in investing in our people because that's our future. And you talk to the people in that organization and they go, Yeah, no, that's not true. You know, they, you know, I haven't been trained in five years. So you've got a guy, he's in a job, a person, not a guy necessarily, a man or woman in their job, and they've discovered that this is not the right cultural soil for them to grow in. Hmm. Uh, they took a chance. They took a risk. They seemed hmm. to fit the job profile. They, they were accepted by the boss. Uh, but now they're saying, hold on. They don't have, uh, the, the door is not really open to my line manager. Communication is very regimented and controlled. Uh, there's no professional development plan. There's no career path. Um, they don't focus on teamwork. They focus on silos, people doing their own sort of things. But, and we come, we're in competition. So we, what they're describing is it, what, what I would ch talk about as a command and control culture. You know, it, it's a parent speaking to the child, control, manipulation. You, everything is about targets and key performance indicators. Uh, and you pass or you fail. And you get punished if you fail, and you may get rewarded if you're lucky. Hmm. But teamwork, collaboration, consultation, coaching, mentoring, that's part that's not part of a command and control culture. Hmm. And many times we don't see that, or a young new manager and leader doesn't discover that until he's in it for some time. Hmm. And but there's a good chance that he or she is looking for what we would then call an empowered culture which where there's barriers are broken down, there's collaboration, teamwork, consultation, innovation and creativity are encouraged. And when you share those kinds of things with a person who's questioning, they will say, yes, it's, I want more. I want to be in a place where somebody helps to push me up and succeed. I want a servant leadership model, or I'm looking for someplace where I can be innovative and creative and it will be encouraged. It won't be discouraged. Uh, I want a place that will recognize and reward, not necessarily with money, but give me the chance to grow, learn, improve, go in new directions, stretch, stretch myself to be better. And so I ask, they have to ask themselves, what is important to them in terms of the culture? Where do they fit? Where not only where, what can they do the job, but would they, where do they fit? If they don't fit in that culture, in the, and I'm talking about either the departmental or the organizational culture, then they have to make some hard decisions. Um, but don't do it impulsively. Don't run away. Because if, you're, if, if you have a reasonably sensitive boss, he will recognize that you're demotivated, that your morale is down, you don't have the energy you used to. You know, and, and I've often shared this. We work eight hours a day, we sleep ideally eight hours a day, which is not true for me, but but then we do something else for eight hours a day. So there's a good, it would make sense 
that if you're planted in the right soil, you're spending your professional life and work life in a place that you can grow, throw, uh, grow, thrive, produce, where you're cared for, there's nurturing. Um, and you come home, your family loves this person. You know, I, 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 do, I mentioned this just the other day. I was away overseas. I came back. It was a long trip. I'm tired. But, you know, my son and my wife would say something like, you know, we'd really like you to go away more often. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks a lot. You know, no, no, no you're kidding. You're tired. We get it. But you're happy. We like this person. This person came back fulfilled and said, you know, we love this guy. Hmm. So if you're going to, so the organization needs to think about your work life and your family life balance. And, but if, so that when I wake up tomorrow morning, I'm looking forward to going back to that environment. Um, and uh, organizations don't fully appreciate that. They see employees so often as an exploitable commodity. We'll get five years, good five years out of them, and then we'll get rid of them and replace them. Or they'll get so burned out and tired, they'll leave. But for the individual, that's not good enough. It's not the, I, I want to, if a person really wants to learn, grow, improve, and um, arrive at even the first phase of that ultimate purpose, the first step, well, then they're going to have to make decisions about what's important to them in the culture. And servant leadership plays a big part in that. And uh, uh, if if they manage other people and they can develop empathy skills and they can develop servant leadership skills and they can develop good listening skills, well, then they are going to make a mark. They're going to leave. They're going to leave a legacy if they do go but it'll be good for them when they transfer somewhere else, if they transfer, that they'll take those those experiences and skills with them. Wow. Thank you. Uh, we're going to take a short break here uh, for some information. So um, just, we could be back very soon. Okay. Dear listeners and viewers, if you want to be coached towards purpose, be equipped for life and leadership, or find ways to a balanced life, then go to lifeleadershipconnected.com for more information and to sign up for a free consultation call. I am your coach, David Delaney Cruz. Okay, welcome back. Welcome back. Um, uh, now, uh, another question. Another question we usually ask in this podcast is this. Um, uh, tell me about your leadership uh, of yourself and others and about some challenges and milestones that have shaped you to the person you are today. Uh, and the most important lesson you have learned as a leader. And I know, uh, Dave, that you have a passion for uh, your style of leadership, I would say, is uh, servant leadership. Uh, and um, uh, tell us a little bit. Uh, uh, um, I think, yeah, I think you may maybe mentioned it before in, in your story, but can you repeat a little bit? How, how, how did you realize that it's servant leadership? That's Why is that so important? There's a the fundamental principle behind servant leadership is is to lead and pull and push up, not push away, but push up rather than drive and force and tell people what to do. So command and control style is do what I tell you. I'm the parent. You're the child. I know what's right. You must do what I tell you to do. If you do it right, I'll give you a reward. If you do it wrong, you're punished. Um that's not a servant heart. The style of Jesus was one of don't just listen to my words, sh watch how I put those words into practice. I'm going to empower you as my disciples uh, to do what I do. And that's 
befriend the unfriendly, to touch the leper, to reach out to those that are are outcasts from society, and to and to speak truth to power sometimes. But the point with servant leadership was is that I, I tell you an example. What was a life lesson for me before I began to really formulate this into a, a consultant coaching training programs? And we're going back maybe 2008. So we're going, what, 15 years ago? Uh, I was working for the world's largest engineering procurement and construction company in the oil and gas sector in Dubai. And they had recruited me to come and help them improve their whole of their human resource system, which was, there were a lot of problems there. And I, so I got there late for my performance review that year. It had already been done. I'd only been there a few weeks. But the following year, I'm doing my performance review and my boss is sitting down with me and we sat down and he said, okay, uh, nice to see you, Dave, again, you know, um, why are we here? And I said, it's performance appraisal day, Peter, you know, he goes, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's talk about what about that new leadership development program for middle executives? No, no, wait, wait. So we, we talked about that last week and I've been, we, I've been watching this throughout the whole year. It's going well, right? Yeah. Going very well. Good. What about the new succession planning thing that no, wait, I saw that new program launched, uh, you know, five months ago. It's I'm getting good reports on that. It's good, right? And I go, yeah, it's fine. He said, yeah, I think so. I've heard it. After we covered two or three subjects like that, I began to, re and then he finally said, okay, what would you like, tea or coffee? And that was it. But what I realized, and he didn't, was that throughout the entire year, he was giving me feedback. He was mon not monitoring like a micromanager, but was checking in. And allowing me, encouraging me to ask him questions, to navigate the politics of a big organization, which was difficult in a Middle Eastern country, nonetheless. Um, and I found out that he was encouraging, he was supportive, he was regular, he was consistent. His style was one of care and support and availability. And I thought, well, I want to be like that. That's the kind of manager because he and I got rewarded, I got bonuses, but he truly cared not about my success because it made him look good, but because it, it helped me to grow in my own career, in my own position. And later, after we had a reorganization, I got moved up to a senior level position in, in a $4 billion organization. I, I never saw this coming. But it was his example to me of, of helping me find my focus for a particular project with a particular group at a particular time in the organization's history hmm. uh, and helping me define that and then turn me loose and but give me welcome me back to say i'm he's, you know here's his model of delegation he, he used to say this number first level go and do it and i'm going to watch every minute of it that's number one number hmm. two go and do it and call me if you need me number three level uh, go and do it and report back at the end of the week or the end of the month number four level four was go away and do it and come back with recommendations mm -hmm. for how we can do it better. And number five, go and do it. I trust you. Hmm. You know, yeah. you know, and be, why? Because he's built something into me in terms of skill, in terms of attitude, in terms of willingness, and in terms of just listening, empathy. Hmm. Well, for me, that epitomizes servant leadership. And the theme behind it is push them up. Don't it's not going to hurt my career to help everybody else who reports to me succeed. 
If I care about that, if I, it's more about my status and my, my career and my image, uh, okay, that's a different attitude. But to, but to push others up, to help them to achieve their objectives, it means I have to know their objectives. It means I have to know their heart. It means mm-hmm. I have to understand what motivates them, what's their why. And it takes time. It takes connection. It takes building relationships. Mm-hmm. Now, I may discover somebody in my team doesn't really care. They're in the job because it pays the bills mm-hmm. and they don't care about anything more. Well, then I have to change my strategy about how I will help them be, be good. Mm-hmm. But I don't have to have the same intense model of servant leadership. But what is interesting, I have used servant leadership training in churches with lots of Bible verses, and I've done servant leadership training in organizations with no Bible verses, but the basic themes are exactly the same. Hmm. Care, empathy, listening, delegation, hmm. phased delegation, um, open door policy, and public acknowledgement. Uh, if you're going to tell somebody you've done something wrong, do it privately, just simple principles of recognition, affirmation, and support. That's it. That's, yeah. 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 But he yeah. was, he was, can I share one other quick story yeah, that, sure, it, that sure, contradicts sure. this? I, I was, okay, talk about the world's largest. I'm now have been asked to be the director of organizational development, effectiveness, leadership development for, for I'm going to have to be careful now, the world's largest dairy producer, mm. cheese and dairy products. Yeah. And I'm a French company that I'm, I'm responsible for the American aspect. And I was brought in because they were losing about 37% of their upper and middle management team every year. Mm-hmm. And they wanted to know why. Well, I was there for about a week and I discovered why. It was no servant leadership whatsoever. There was no empowered culture at all. People were scared to open their mouth. They were afraid to try new things because they're very clear about what they should do. You must love cheese making. That's only, I don't care about your family. You must love cheese making. You know, this was the attitude. So over time, the senior management had actually revamped their vision, vision, mission, and value statement. And uh, I helped to write them. And it was much more about the person, about the family, about wholeness, about servant leadership language. Then I also at the same time was doing a survey amongst all the plants, the thousands of people. And I found out that about 70% of all the middle middle and upper managers had an active CV. So we got people who are a flight risk. They're ready to fly. Yeah. But if they left, the impact on the organization would be ter- would be severe, mm-hmm. negative impact. So I was asked to go around and talk about this new vision, vision, and ma- vision, mission, and value statement, which I did. And then we said, we're going to have public seminars with everybody. The president will even be in the room with the lowest level employee. We're going to talk for a couple of hours and tell you there's a new world coming. It's going to be better support, care, nurture, good soil to grow in, blah, blah, blah. So I shared it with the vice president, my boss, This what the workshops would look like. She loved it. She shared it with the president. He hated it. And he got me on a Skype, uh, a Zoom call. Well, I think it was Zoom. Maybe it was not those days, but whatever. Got me on a call with the vice president. And he said, I absolutely reject this approach. He said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go and tell everybody that you either you like your job and love cheese making and what you were hired to do and you do it well or you're fired. Mm. I don't care about this. You want to be home on the weekend so you can watch your son play football. I don't. What's all this American sort of soft stuff? Mm. And 
what was happening is that they, because senior managers, Americans had left, they had put French leaders in uh, mm -hmm. and they were uh, duplicating or replicating what his mindset was. Mm -hmm. And so I said, I can't do that. I've been out telling people that there's a new thing coming. Servant leadership is going to be the core value of all managers. Anyway, he said, no, you must go and tell them they're fired if they don't do their job. Anyway, I couldn't do it. And uh, I left. And about two years later, I'm in touch with friends from that organization. I found out it was no longer 37% of people that were leaving. It was more like 42. And they couldn't recruit new people because their reputation in the marketplace was so bad. So I learned a valuable lesson about my own values, my own purpose, what I need to feel good about. And I had to disconnect from an organization that wouldn't do it. Wow. Um, and then... Uh... And what would you say is the, the most important leadership lesson and principle in life you've learned? Uh, if you would like to give one principle that, that, that yeah, that, that's really important to, to no matter what kind of leader you are, uh, what would that be? My wife would probably disagree with me on this. And she would laugh when she hears me say this. But it's a simple thing. We've heard about it for decades. Listen to understand. Don't listen to react and respond, to give mm. an answer. Mm. Try to take a deep breath and actually hear, as I say, my the idiom is hear between the lines. You can read between the lines, but now mm. you've got to hear between the lines. Take enough time to truly understand where the person is coming from. Listen mm. to understand. Mm. It takes practice. Active listening is not passive. Active listening is truly being sensitive to the possibilities that there are other things going on in their life mm. that I, would help me understand how to support them as their manager or for them to achieve in their jobs. Mm. So listen to understand, don't listen to, to answer. It's not yeah. very profound. Uh, and as I said, my wife would probably tell you that you don't listen. <laughs> you know, you know, and anyway, so if she ever watches this, I'm in real trouble. Yeah. Okay, thank you, David. And the last question uh, that we usually ask is this, um, uh, tell me how you successfully combine your role as a leader of yourself and other people and your life as a healthy human being. What challenges and success, success factors? And I'm thinking, I mean, you have a family, David, and you travel a lot. Uh, you have you have like, um, yeah, you get called called to, to, do, uh, to do trainings in different parts of the world sometimes. Uh, and... And I think this issue that that ha happens to many leaders that are, yeah, they they, they are stuck, you know, between uh, the tasks they have to do at work and life, at home and so on. And how do you how do you keep this balance? How do you keep that balance in your life? Well, um, I've not kept the balance in the past, and uh, it almost had serious consequences in mm -hmm. my family. Mm -hmm. uh, I recognize that that uh, in that situation, you know, the, the kids needed more than just a dad who came home mm. and asked them if they made their bed and cleaned their room and did what mom told you to do. Uh, that's, that's a policeman's inspector, quality control role. Mm. Uh, and because I'm going to leave in another week and I've got jet lag, uh, you know, I've got to, the idea of listening helpfully, with, to understand, you know, I begin to get into professor mode. 
I'll just tell you what to do because yeah, you told me, okay, here's what you need to do because I'm leaving soon. Hmm. And I had to learn a very, that was a painful lesson. And fortunately we survived and God was so good to us to help us get through that. But um, yeah, it's, I don't travel as much and COVID actually was a blessing in that sense. And that allowed me to work much more from home. Uh, I've only traveled to other places maybe eight times since COVID ended, but almost all of my work now is remote. Mm. And, and I'm grateful for that. I'm okay. Mm. I'm in the middle of the night and I'm tired because there are other time zones. But um, I think one of the greatest, one of the best things that that has happened for me is that I have not, I have not been afraid nor ashamed to be weak mm. that, you know, and to say, I haven't got all the answers my, to my wife and mm. family. I am tired and I need you. Mm. Um, I don't have to be the king, the guru, the amazing guy who solves all the problems. It's okay to be weak. It's okay mm. to be vulnerable. And to see ourselves as a team has made a huge difference. Mm. Um, but also the servant leadership model, when I go back and I'm talking with leaders from around the world, if I'm in, the, in, their, in their office or in their building, it's the same thing. Uh, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to not have all the answers. It's okay to not be the, to solve everyone's problems. I'm here to help you to discover how you can do it together. Um, the reason why I got so busy before was because I would open up a, a dialogue or challenge people to do things and they would say, well, yes, we can start, but we need you to come back to help us complete. Mm. So I've adapted my own style to help them to a discovery process. I'll help. I'll come inside for a couple of days and help mm. you to look at it, discuss it, plan for it. And I'll support you remotely from now on because mm. I'm not going to keep coming back. It's too expensive for them, first of all. Mm. But I, you need to take responsibility for your own life. I mm. will support you as a facilitator, as a coach, mm. as a mentor, but I'm not going to solve your problems for you and fix your situation. Mm. I've set you off. I've given you the direction. Now yeah. I'll support you from here. And that's been a huge, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's not an easy, easy mm. situation for sure, mm. but mm. that's what I've discovered and COVID actually helped me to learn it better mm. than ever. Yeah. Uh, if there's if there's people here that listeners and 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 watch on YouTube, if you're if they want to get to know to learn more of you, would you uh, read some some books that you've written or or some publication? How how can they find you? Where where well what contacts? No, I would love to love them to that. Uh, number one, LinkedIn is the first stop. My mm -hmm. website is going not up and running yet. We've changed the website from. I have two of them. One is for the business professional non-Christian, if you like, side, which I mm -hmm. believe hope Christian values are there. Yeah. The other one is is specifically tailored to Christian leaders and managers. One is called McLuhan Martin and Management. The other is called Under New Management, Under His New Management. Yeah. But they could go to YouTube, just put my name in Dave Lutz in YouTube. Yeah. They'll find my channel. There's some podcasts yeah. there. Yeah. They can go to LinkedIn and there's lots yeah. of stuff there. Yeah. And or they can see my email and LinkedIn and just write to me. I'll send them stuff if they want. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because when I prepared for, for this uh, interview with you, you sent me a, like, um, you sent me this um, uh, the file for this chapter that was included in the book. Oh yes, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that is that available this, also? This is the book, your dose yeah. of motivation. Yeah. The chapter that's in there is about finding purpose, meaning, and direction. Yeah. And discovering the authentic you. 
uh, and they can, if they went to Amazon and put your dose of motivation, they would find the whole book. Yeah. There's 18 chapters. My, but if they want to write to me, uh, I send them the, my chapter if they would like that. You know? yeah. and I'm I, more than happy to. Yeah, and I, I can just encourage you, listeners, and, and you do that because I there's, a, there's especially two pictures there, uh, some circle diagrams uh, that are really helpful. Uh, and um, 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 yeah, so, so if, maybe I can uh, maybe I can can include them in some kind of file uh, attached to this YouTube file, and uh, we'll see yeah, if, sure. if it's possible. But, but it's um, uh, yeah, it's it's really good. It's really good. So that, I don't want the, to advertise somebody else's uh, magazine, but I am also the executive contributor to Brains magazine, yes, B-R-A-I-N-Z. Yes. The sixth article out of 12 is being published, and it's on this subject exactly, but from a non-Christian, not a not an overtly Christian perspective. The yeah. sixth is being published this week. I'm going to be on the cover, apparently. There's a podcast that I've done with them. Mm. But uh, th that stuff, again, it's find purpose, meaning, and direction. That's all it's about. And they went to Brains. but they If they go to Brains and put in David Lutz Brains, they'll see mm. the articles. Mm. Wow. Wonderful. Yeah. Great. Uh, thank you, David. Is there something else that you would like to end with? Or some, uh, something that we, we missed in our, in our conversation? <sighs> Guidance, goofs, and grace. Yes, please. Please tell us <laughs> a little about that. Uh, I'm very proud of this. This is my 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 own spiritual journey in the early 70s with the Jesus Revolution, and uh, what I've tried to emphasize is that he guided, yes, but I really goofed up, and that's a great American phrase, goof, to goof, and he showed great tremendous grace. But that's that book is being turned into a possible TV series uh, where we look at the different chapters of how God sort of grabbed this American boy got him famous playing baseball and then turned his life around to become a Christian leader and teacher and manager and, and, and pastor. Uh, so it's a fun ride. It's a fun story. Uh, it, it describes God's miraculous intervention in my life. So uh, that's an, again, go to Amazon. It's ebook and it's also a hard copy. Sorry to be a salesman on this, but I'm really excited about that. So it's yeah. uh, it's a good thing. Yes. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to order that book. Uh, so um Oh, thank so, you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, view, dear viewers and listeners, uh, my name is David Dalian Cruz, and um, and uh, yeah, before I say that, thank you, David, again. Thank you again for, for, for that. My you, absolute for, for pleasure. For this, uh, this you, you you were part of this podcast. So uh, my name is David Dalian Cruz, David Dalian Cruz, and this is the Life and Leadership Connected podcast. And uh, thank you for listening uh, on Apple Podcast or Spotify or elsewhere, or watching on YouTube. And welcome back when we release our next episode. And after then, bye-bye.